0: Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, live from the trade show floor at Grocery Shop 2019, the podcast series where we discuss the technologies, the companies and the people that are shaping the evolution of retail. Today's episode is brought to us by our sponsors, Rebango. Rebango partners with retailers to eliminate lines and save people time can learn more about checkout food technology at ribango.com and listener listener powers transactions and better checkout experiences across the customer journey with the most advanced ultrasonic ultrasonic technology visit lisnr.com for more information today we're thrilled again once again our third podcast of the day at grocery shop to turn our spotlight on jaron waldman the ceo of rakuten ready Jaren, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Absolutely. So I'm I'm pumped because you're our latest, I think, OmniTalk fan, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> listen,
2: right. listen, to our podcast recently on the fight here, and I loved it. It's great. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. That's yeah.
1: that's always good to hear. It's
2: always great to hear. Makes <laughs> everybody I feel we do so well, well informed now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's right. All the weekly news yeah. delivered right to your inbox. But hey man, thanks for making time for us. Um, I was really excited we could get this scheduled. We've we've actually been acquainted with you guys for a long time, probably four or five years now. And so I wanted to share with the audience exactly some of that evolution that you guys have had as a company. So why don't we start there? Racket and ready, what is it? And specifically, what's been the origin story?
2: Yeah, um, so companies started in uh, 2013. My co-founder and I, at the time, we were working at Apple on location services. And we said, you know, this click and collect thing's gonna be really big, um, and retailers need technology partners, so we were experts in location technology. Okay. And um, didn't know much about retail at the time, uh, so we, uh, but we quit our jobs, jumped out, started a company, called a curbside, because we thought uh, that was kind of like a an interesting experience that retailers would be able to, to deliver if they knew when their customer was on approach to the store.
0: How did you get to there? Like, even before you go, where are you are gonna go next? Like, how did you go, okay, you know, I
2: think retailers could like
0: this. Like, what was, what was that seminal? moment? it was actually, it was driven by,
2: uh, yeah, it was driven by personal experience. So I had okay. uh, I had a very young children when I was at Apple. And my wife was at home with the kids a lot and I was working long hours and I would be having to pick stuff up at Target sure. on, on my way home. Uh, and I'd be wanting to see them before they fell asleep. Wandering around in uh, this big box, which wasn't familiar to me and saying like I, you know what I really I want to get in and out quickly So I, I felt like the inventory was in there There should be a way to get it get through it and get out for those types of shopping trips Where you just you want to get in and out as quickly as you can.
0: So was your own personal pain point as, so it was, father. Exactly, as a father Exactly, father,
2: and, <laughs> and then it got into my head and we were just like this has to happen like it's gonna happen like You know, it's just one of those things and, and uh, couldn't get it out of our heads Apple wasn't going to do it, and so we were like, "All right, uh, let's go, let's go try it out." Okay, Uh, yeah, with all the uh, all the yeah.
1: What did that look like at at first? Like, what was the early prototype stages, and how did you guys decide where to go?
2: Yeah, so it was it was interesting. Uh, Our goal all along was to be a technology partner to retailers, Mm -hmm. but it was such a kind of new experience that we actually built a consumer app first because. It was going to take a really long time for a retailer to take our technology, package it into their Click and Collect and their order ahead. Um, so we felt like we needed to put a showcase out there that was like, here's the kind of best possible consumer experience that you could do in Click and Collect. And then uh, work with retailers to demonstrate it, show them, hey, here's, here's how it could be. right? Um, and then transition it to it. them so that they could run it inside their own experiences. Okay. So that's the, that's the approach we took. So and that was GroupSide? That was Curt. The app was called Curbside, yeah. Okay. And uh, it definitely served its purpose in terms of like you know we got up over a million users and uh, got people familiar with like how you could basically have a really smooth click and collect experience, app based experience from a store, um, and uh, you know people loved it actually.
0: That, that's it. we've heard that approach a few times now where um, people eventually the place to go more B2B versus, you know, as you described, like, do you recommend that as people are starting off when they're kind of in a similar space? Or like how do you, what are some of the lessons learned in, in that approach?
2: It's a tricky transition. You know, I think um, retailers have been burned in the past. So they have a lot of skepticism if they feel like technology partners are trying to get in between them and their customer. Yeah. So you if you come in and you're going to deliver a consumer experience and you're going to wrap a retailer into it, they're naturally and rightfully going to look at it a little bit skeptically. On the other hand, you got to, as a startup, you kind of have to start somewhere, right? So, you know, if you look back at where we were at, we launched in 2014. 2014? uh, 2014. There was click and collect out there, but it really wasn't very good uh, the, the state of the art in the industry was like it was pretty rough when
0: well, the retailers weren't ready for it right like operationally mm-hmm. architecturally exactly and so how did it work like you guys because it was really unique in, in in our opinion in terms of how having seen it out in california back gosh for us it was probably yeah. what, two, 2015 or 16
1: 2015 yeah.
0: 2016 like yeah how, yeah how did it work like how's it all how was it set <laughs> up
2: yeah well so target was our launch partner uh, as you know and uh we got an airstream trailer wrapped our logo on it and put it in front of one store in sunnyvale uh, working with the innovation team at target uh, who were great like casey carl and steph Farsh, and those folks um and they let us do it and uh we got immediately people were like what's that shiny trailer (laughs) with the teal logo that doesn't go with the red uh target bullet and um bullseye and then um started taking orders and just started filling them. And the demand kind of spoke for itself. So we, from there, rolled out to 10 stores uh, and then hundreds of stores, and transitioned the labor over to Target doing the walkout. So like, probably Mm. when you saw it in the early Mm. days, we had our own people staffing. Never our model to do that at scale. So not like uh, an Instacart type of model where you insert another labor pool on top of the existing labor model in the store. We always thought that this was something that the retailers should own, but we figured out a lot of operational. Like we learned a lot, right, by doing it ourselves, Um, and that feeds into the consumer experience at the end of the day. So coming, sort of coming out of that Apple discipline of like thinking through the customer journey Mm -hmm. really carefully end to end, you kind of have to live that consumer experience and understand how the operational bottlenecks play back into it to kind of tune it and get the experience exactly right. So. It was an important stage for us to actually have the folks fulfilling on the ground.
0: So what happened next?
2: What happened next is we brought on a bunch of other retailers and a bunch of other verticals and we grew it Um, and we launched uh, an SDK so that uh, any developer could kind of pick up the tools and start integrating it into their own applications themselves. You know, Target, um, we had a great experience with them. They ultimately made the decision to go in a different direction, and they kind of, that, I think they learned a lot from the experience with us, and uh, they have their drive-up program now, Mm -hmm. which I think is going rather well. So we're proud of the kind of role that we played in, like, laying the groundwork for them, but eventually our business is much sort of more broad, and we've done a lot in drug beauty grocery or here and um, actually food like fast food has grown yeah. like crazy for us that's
0: so, what was going to go next actually yeah. that was actually one of the things that uh, you know really led me to to want to speak with you today is some of the stuff you're doing at GSR too and some of the, in terms of yeah. who the clients are that you guys have there and and, and what yeah. you're learning how was that what was the transition like from just retail like as in the early infancy of putting the the, the Airstream trailer out there, whatever yeah. it's Gulfstream trailer, whatever it's called, I always get that confused. But out in the parking lots and you know going to QSR and, and helping in that arena, imagine that's it, there's probably a ton of experimentation going on in, in that.
2: Yeah, it's really different. But you know, in retrospect, QSR would have been a great place to start because hmm. it is um, the most frequent retail purchase that people make, right? And so what I've belatedly realized uh, is that. Where the frequency is is where the consumer expectation gets driven, yeah, right? right? So if you're using the Starbucks app and you're getting coffee every mm. single morning through the Starbucks app and you're having a good experience, that's conditioning you to believe that you should have that t- that level of experience everywhere else. And they've done a really good job of like figuring that out and so, some of our other partners like Chick-fil-A have seen when they get the experience exactly right, they see this Kind of phenomenal unlock of like consumer demand where it's just it's smooth in the ordering side, it's smooth in the pickup side, and everything is like taken care of and you go. And our technology plays a role in that because they know when the customer's coming, the customer doesn't have to check in or they're just taking friction out of that pickup side of the experience. Um, but what we see play out is those expectations are built because those are the things that you're doing every, you know, every day or a few times a week. Then it plays into grocery, because grocery is a really high, within the rest of retail, is a really high purchase frequency category. You're doing that twice a week, right, going to the grocery store. Um, and then that kind of is cascading down to everyone else, right? So so following the frequency is really interesting. So is that, there's, I think that's interesting from my perspective on two fronts. So is
0: that interesting from the entrepreneur's perspective on... Going back to your roots in Apple, too, and experience design, is there, therefore, less variability in the experience design, too, within those types of categories when you find that type of frequency in purchasing? Like, they can enable you to hone in on exactly what the product is a little bit faster. Yep. Say, like, the hamburger's being made the same way, the cup of coffee's being made the same way. Does that play into how quickly you can go and how quickly you can experiment?
2: No, definitely. Like, doing, now we're doing millions of trips a week where we're tracking that on our platform. Uh, so the way, you know, our platform works is somebody orders something in the app and then we're helping follow their journey and notifying when they're five minutes away from the pickup so that you can kind of start preparing the food and have it ready. That kind of volume is like order of magnitude different than most people in retail are doing. Even the big players like Target and Walmart. Right. Um, so that you learn a lot from dealing with that kind of volume. We use machine learning, for example, to predict when the customer's coming. So all of those trips, we train our algorithms and it makes us better and better at being able to give that reliable heads up that the customer's coming. The other aspect of it is the importance of the operations. So uh, What I can say is like Starbucks, by getting the experience right, it, it, you know they, they went through a lot to get that experience right, and then they experienced a real skyrocket. And I think they've been public about you know fourteen percent of their orders now come through the mobile app. It's
0: a huge amount. It's right? just
2: phenomenal because they do so many orders. And you go to some stores um, in, on the West Coast, and like probably half of the people are ordering it ahead on the app. So that creates a whole second order set of operational challenges. Um, in that context, and the, the solve or the unlock for that, or the way we can help uh, as, a, as a technology partner is to give them great data. So we've done a lot on instrumenting our platform so that um, you can see how long that customer is waiting on site, or how long, for mm. example, is it between when they arrive and when there's a service event, when, when they're actually taken care of, those types of questions, which have, um, played well for us in grocery as well, and, and you know our, through our partnership with Kroger, they've really been pushing us on the operational piece to get better and better data and better and better metrics. So you know it's like uh, you, you solve the customer experience thing and then that leads to a ramp in demand, and then the, the ramp in demand means that you encounter a new set of operational challenges and then you, you, you gotta bring data to the table to overcome those and then, and then we'll see what's the next.
0: Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. I think to that point, one of the things we always are we always talk about is that kind of omni-channel retailer, whatever you want to call it, is really the intersection of the human, the physical, and the digital design elements, right, within the concept of experience design. Yeah. So you mentioned Chick-fil-A. I, I think Chick-fil-A, to, partially to your guys' credit, it sounds like has one of the better omni-channel experience designs out there through their mobile app. I think it's amazing from a personalization perspective, from the pickup aspects of what you can do in that app. How, if in any way, and especially for what you can talk about, how how does the store architecture start to play into the operations and what you do too? I mean, from your roots, if we were in the parking lot, to now this is this isn't in the parking lot. You're in the store. It's much different. It's a great. So no, how do you a, think about that? That's a
2: great question. That's so interesting to think about what stores are going to look like, right? But you've seen all the announcements about um, pickup-only stores, right? And I think. We're going to see more and more of that. You think there'll be and more? More and more. Like I know, I know of. I won't. I won't speak to any particular partner, but we we see a ton of it experimentation going on and success, and so that's rolling out. QSR what,
0: and retail, or do you think it's specific to any vertical?
2: I'm going to go back to my theory here that the the frequency is all QSR. So whatever's happening in QSR today, we can expect to be happening in retail, like in like three to five years because okay. the consumer gets used to those experiences. So I, I think it's cascading through. I'm obviously a huge believer in pickup, but a lot of times you can do um, like what, what Chipotle's done with their Chipotle lane. it's dual, it's dual purpose of so your consumer. You come up and you fly through a lane and your food's brought out, but it's also servicing all the Doordashers and all the other delivery folks who who are, who are, Creating pressure on the in-store experience, which they want to kind of preserve, right? Like they don't want that to, to go away. So, that, so you can, it's there's like this, it's like this defensive trench that they're setting up out front to make everyone's experience better, flying through, without having, you know, you don't want to walk into the Chipotle and there's like ten DoorDash drivers standing inside waiting for their, you know. No, not at all. Or, yeah, yeah or
0: third-party deli- last-mile delivery for providers and grocery, same same yeah. issue, right? It's interesting to think about. We we wrote a piece recently for Forbes about. The partnership with Kroger and Walgreens, and you know what is the actual yeah. pickup point in the future? But it, you're making me think about it in a different way. Just as you're talking, like, you yeah, what if there's just a pickup target or a pickup Walmart at some point in time that's yeah. completely different than anything we're talking about? Well,
2: what do you think? Because one of the things that yeah. that I think is that investors to some degree are subsidizing some of this delivery activity. So there's no question that the consumer wants it, right? Um, and if you give it to the consumer at an affordable price, they're going to keep. They'll keep doing it. Yeah, it's like long. it's like a drug. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But um, if you look at what's going on in the public markets and you kind of play it forward five years, I think that some of some of the growth is being subsidized, right? And some of that will go away, but pickup is going to continue to grow because everyone is using their phone to initiate all these transactions, and so like. Why, why should I go into the store? Why should I wait in the checkout line? Why should I find everything I need on the aisles if, you, if you're going to deliver that to me?
0: Right. I 100% agree with you. I think for me, and that was part of the, some of the tenets of the piece, was that I think the question starts, we start to visit the question a lot of our writing, of what are the moments in people's lives where you need that type of activity to happen? So you know, how do you create the pickup locations on my way to work, on my way home from work, on my lunch break, in my co-working space, at my gym? Yeah. You know, The places or moments where I go in my life. And because those have so many economic benefits, too, the demand's easier to forecast. Yeah. You can schedule the deliveries on specific times to specific places. There's a whole territory there. You've got me thinking even stronger about this, actually, the way you're talking about it. So like, but there's so many beneficial aspects of that that haven't been explored yet before we even get to the last mile. And that's actually one of my takeaways from this show, too, is we're still far from even the last 20 feet. So there, there's a yeah. lot of this interim steps in the areas that you guys are playing
2: in. So. Yeah, well, that's why it's an interesting time. right? Yeah. There's so much going on. Yeah, that's for
1: sure. Do these, this move or this theory yeah. about moving yeah. towards more delivery locations present any new challenges or, I guess, opportunities for, for you guys as you're thinking about how you support those, those QSRs and retailers?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the challenge as a technology provider is to stay ahead of it without... You can get pulled in a million different directions. Right. So there's so much opportunity going on right now. Yeah. So we try to look at the landscape. We're building a single platform, um, and we want to we want to be of service to as many retailers as possible. But there's so much experimentation going on at the same time. Yeah. So so probably you know the kinds of labs that you guys are running. You see just a huge diversity of different things and approaches. And like we we see a bit of that too. Okay. And it's like trying to tease out like okay where where is the mainstream of things actually heading? And which of these use cases is actually serving a consumer need in a way that is gonna be gratifying for them, right? Sure. I and mean, it's hard, sometimes hard to know when there's so many pilots going on out there, like which, which of these have traction, right? There's a lot of, um, you know, I'm sure there's probably a hundred announcements that we're gonna hear. show. at least, yeah, at least. Oh my gosh, probably a hundred just
0: in the last hour. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, no, exactly. With all the tech that's out there.
2: So you're just like, there's so much information flooding in, Right, um, but part of it is I think using using volume as your guide, like follow right. follow the consumer, because there's all kinds of announcements and noise in the in the market. But yeah, we, what are what are consumers actually taking to? And if you can tease that out, then you can see how you can be helpful.
1: Yeah, I, I think it it may unlock some things that become I think more operational for the retailer QSR too. I mean, the I, what I think they're not prepared for yet is quite the volume that they're going to be doing with these delivery or pickup only stores and how that changes you know right now it's like the starbucks pickup only they say the benefits will be that the, the staff won't have to be cleaning bathrooms or managing the cafe portion they can just focus on operations and there surely will be efficiencies that come through with robotics and other things to help you know, reduce the the number of people that have to be working there. But I think there's still a lot that can happen when when you have that frequency that customers will be demanding because they're so used to that experience. So what other things come as a result of that and how could you know how can you guys help play a part in that?
0: It's a great point, Anne, because I think what you guys are both saying effectively is it actually allows you as the restaurant to focus more on the quality of the food. Yeah. Which is what people care about the most. Right. So, you know, if you create these types of situations or locations, like, you can devote your work, devote your workforce to food and food prep. And that totally. that's so important. So, yeah, that's your differentiator, right? At the end of the day, even though intuitively it actually feels like you're doing the opposite. But in reality, you are doing exactly that. So, okay, I have to ask just to shift gears a little bit. So, 2018, I think it was June. Big, huh. big, big, big milestone yeah. in, in the history of what we've been talking about. So, what happened then?
2: So we became part of the Rakuten family. Uh, so Rakuten is, uh, you know, a, it, for those who don't know, is a big uh, headquartered in Japan, 10 billion plus um, company uh, focused on e-commerce. And uh, they had started as a marketplace in Japan uh, 20 years ago um, and have a real philosophy around um, the Japanese word is omotenashi, which means uh, serving serving the customer and uh, empowering retailers is really part of their DNA. So we met um, actually through Ebates, uh, which is now called Rakuten Rewards. Um, They're a part of the Rakuten family and we had been talking to them about click and collect, um, really kind of hit it off with them well. Met uh, the founder of the company and some of the other folks in Japan and um, found that we really saw things in a, saw the world in the same kind of way, where we were, um, we wanted to empower merchants and retailers to deliver great experiences to the end consumer. Uh, And Rackton, I think, saw the opportunity in the United States. They're very um, large in their home market in Japan and they're making investments around the world to kind of continue their growth. um, And saw the opportunity in the United States to come in. continue to support the work that we've been doing um, and uh, become even a better partner to retailers and deepen their partnerships with retailers in the United States um, beyond sort of what, um, you know, merchants already know them through um, Ebates, through Recton Marketing, which was Linkshare and and other properties. So uh, really exciting. Uh, You know, they've been investing. We've grown the company quite a bit rebranded from curbside to um, Racked and ready and are aligning with um, some of the other capabilities that are in the company. And one of the interesting things is that, you know, I'd mentioned earlier, kind of when you get the experience right, you, you take the cork off and you unlock a lot of latent demand. Um, one of our experiences for, for, is that some of our retail partners actually struggle with kind of marketing and awareness mm-hmm. in the digital side. So one thing we've been doing is aligning our platform with some of the demand capabilities which and already brought to the table in the United States Mm. so that you can um, build around and Ready um, and kind of turn on the lights and um, flood in with consumers who are uh, mobile-first, digitally savvy types of shoppers who might not be in the... Existing demographic of some of the retailers that we've worked with in the past.
0: So. Right, and they might yeah. not have the ca- tools and capabilities to develop those things themselves, and exactly need to partner with somebody like you.
2: Right, right. So there's a really nice. We saw this sort of like really nice alignment between the pieces that we've been developing that they've been developing, and um, so it's been really fast uh, year plus that we've been in there, but really super positive. So. That's great. Yeah.
0: And so, what's next for you guys? And you're at grocery shop. So how are you approaching the show, and 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 kind of what's what's what the future might hold in store
2: uh we're just we're talking to everyone you know uh, meeting meeting some really fascinating people and um lots to come and uh lots to come in the next 12 months um it's like i don't have anything to unveil it here on on this on this talk but uh that's okay because this talk yeah. has been great yeah, yeah. Uh, this is yeah. this is awesome yeah it's a great show um
1: well, we'll get you out on how millennial are you, if you're willing to play. Uh-oh. All right. <laughs> all right. So we're going to ask you three questions. We ask them all of our guests, but it's really fun to just get a sense of not whole, how old or young you are, but how curious you might be, we'll okay. say. Um, so with that, we'll start. So when you are going to a grocery store, for example um are you paying with a mobile payment or are you pulling out cash or credit card
2: mobile payment apple pay
1: yeah always
2: nine times out of ten
1: okay nice word all right all nice. right um, that's the one
2: that always trips everybody up
1: it is you yeah oh, yes you oh, passed yeah. number one surprisingly right
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah i love Apple <laughs> Pay.
1: um not the next question so in the last week how many times have you ordered food or coffee from a mobile app?
2: Once. But I was in Japan last week, and mobile ordering is not as advanced there as it is here. Really? Yes. What? Wow. surprisingly.
1: Yeah, why is that, you think?
2: Um, mobile payment is huge there. Okay. QR pay.
1: Yeah.
2: But so if you'd asked me that, I would have said Hundred times paper everything yeah. with my mobile there, but uh, mobile order ahead for pickup yes. is a big opportunity over there for us, and that's part of the, that's part of it. That's right. I remember reading that
0: in some of the announcements last year. I think we talked about yeah. that on our podcast actually.
2: Yeah. yeah. Why oh. that is, it's uh, that's that's a longer story. But, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll do another yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. on that one. Another 30 minutes. Yes. Back. <laughs> on Japan. All right.
1: <laughs> All right, last question. If you could only use one social app for the rest of your life, what would it be and why?
2: Ooh. Um, well, I'm going to go off piece here and say uh, Spotify.
1: Oh Spotify. Yeah, it's Not
2: really a social app, but it is kind of is a social app.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. I've never I'm a huge music lover. I love Spotify and I guess I never would have categorized it as a social app, but it definitely is.
2: Me too. I don't like I I've sort of gotten off Facebook and a lot of the like traditional social apps. But I I love music as well and I discover so much music by following people on Spotify. Oh man.
1: Do you have any recommendations? Is there anybody we should be following on Spotify? You should follow me. I will now. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. This I don't, is life changing. I don't changing. have a big following,
2: or anything. But that's yeah. okay. That's okay, I mean,
1: even follow. You don't even think about. It. I, I think that's an untapped, like, kind of experience that people don't realize. That's always been a thing to do. I mean, you can follow anybody, but I guess I have like maybe one person that I follow on accident.
2: Yeah, I think. I think it's hopefully it'll grow. hope yeah. spalling people on Spotify is something that is happening, and it's going to continue. to... Because I agree, it's under uh, undertapped opportunity.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, what a, what a day! I mean, we had one CEO drop his phone number on a podcast. <laughs> We've got another one saying, "Follow me on Spotify." Like, yeah. that's why we do this. Make everybody feel like just There's everyday something people. For everything it's real on authentic. The series. We got construction happening around us here at the show. <laughs> like, God knows what's yeah. coming, but. Hey man, that was great. Thank you so much. Yeah. If people are listening to this, either at the show or maybe, you know, next week at home on their way into work, like what's the best way to get in touch with Racketton Ready?
2: You can just email me, Jaron.waldman at racketon.com.
0: Great. And thank
2: you guys for having me. It was really fun.
0: Awesome. Great. Yeah, no, it was a blast. An absolute blast. So thanks to our sponsors too, Grabango and Listener. Jaron, so much thank you so much for being on the show again. Jaron Waldman, CEO of Rackiton Ready. And for all our listeners out there, be careful out there.